Well, welcome to Dragon Heart. It's been a very busy week down at the race course. I am joined by Bill Long and Mark Griffiths. How are you both? Not too bad. Not too bad. I'm excited. We've been doing good deals this week. I'm excited. Yeah, same here. I think, uh, well, we'll get on to it, but it's uh, a completely different sort of show to last week, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly is. Well, we've got two new signings to talk about. We've got a bit of an Aaron Hayden appreciation segment. We've got the two games and we also have the Craig Skinner interview part two. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get to it. This is Dragonheart. I'm Harry Lennon and this is Dragonheart. I think the club has stopped a lot of frustrating, frustrated Wrexham fans this week. No more pen emojis, hopefully, from the fans on Twitter. But yeah, Wrexham have now had two exciting signings in Ollie Palmer and Callum McFadzi. So, Mark, let's start off Ollie Palmer. What was your thoughts when we first signed him? Well, firstly, can I just say that I went to school with a girl called Pen Emoji? Um, but I mean, it's a different matter altogether. I didn't know she was so popular. Um, the, I, I think Palmer is well. When you look at the qualities he brings, and I didn't, I don't. We saw the full range of it on Tuesday. You can see exactly why we bought him, and I find it fascinating. In fact, that's what I've been writing in the the leader this week. That we've been, we've had this creativity problem. Everyone's perceived it as. We need someone to take control of midfield. We need someone of authority in midfield. Um, and I'm not, I'm not saying I disagree with that, but I've been saying all along, it, it, we are sort of trying to play quickly through midfield. And I think the, the way the team has progressed this season and then this signing, to me, says that there's a, an intention to find a creativity from a different part of the team, not from midfield. Which is not to say that Davis, Young and Jones don't provide any creativity, but I think we're looking for it from a different place. So, as I've said a number of times, that change that came about at the Harrogate game where we went for very attacking, very fast wing-backs has definitely meant that our play, to a great extent, based on getting the ball forwards quickly down the flanks and causing threat that way. And now we've got Palmer... And I would say, and we saw a bit of it on Tuesday, but I think this is one of the main reasons we brought him in. He's really good at dropping off, holding the ball up, and he's got really, for our level, fabulous vision. He knows what's going on around him. He spots runs and he plays those passes. Whether they come off or not, the fact is that he sees it. And I just think, yeah, it's almost like the idea is not let's get a playmaker in a midfield, uh, let's let's get more creativity on the flanks and now playing off Mullen so that <clears throat> beg your pardon, so that we can really feed him. And when you when you see Palmer at, for Wimbledon getting the ball, holding it up, turning, getting his head up, seeing runs and trying to play defense putting balls all the time, you think, yeah, you can see how somebody would look at him and think, well, that guy might just spot Mullen's runs and put him in. Yeah, it's like just having someone of that quality on the same wavelength as Mullen, isn't it? So, yeah, it's very interesting. He, he looked really, really good against Grimsby. More on that later. But, yeah, what was your thoughts, Bill? I think he was the... I mean, yeah, you said we'll come to the, the Grimsby game in a bit, but I think he, he is the, the 
missing piece of the jigsaw, really, isn't it? You know, everything Mark said is spot on. And I think having someone to take the pressure off Mullen in a different way, you know, there's no need to be lumping balls up to him now. It, it, there's someone there that it can bounce off. You know, you, you kind of be hoping that, that Kwame could, could have possibly played that role, but he's coming off a really serious injury. Um, he's a slightly different sort of player, I think. Kwame is a bit better with his feet than he gets credit for as well. Although, you know, we're going to see from uh, Ollie Palm whether he's got that in his locker as well. Uh, good signing overall. And we've now got like a set of Power Rangers up front. We've got loads of players. It's a, a, a proper team. Yeah, I, I, I got to say, you're saying about on the floor. I would say that's his strength. I would say that he's very good on the floor and mm. and Kwame Thomas is more effective in the air. I don't know what you guys thought of him. I, I, I feel like in the air, he's a sort of bloke. I mean, he's about six or five, so he can handle himself and he will win headers because he's big, but he's not necessarily like fabulous in the air. If you see what I mean. Yeah, so, you know, and... and... He, he may have had the most uh, headed goals in the Premier League, Peter Crouch, but at the same time, he was actually very good with his feet and probably only got so many headed goals purely because of his size rather than necessarily being a strength um, or or a, an extraordinary strength, should I say. You know, obviously, it's going to be a strength to be scoring that many goals. So, yeah, it, I mean, for years, thinking back to the 98-point season team, I think we didn't have a lot of height across the squad and we haven't got the absolute tallest team at the moment either. So any any sort of height and strength added in this le- at this level is you know is vital really. Yeah, and he's also got a lot of intelligence as well, football intelligence. So him partnered up with Mullen up front is going to be fantastic, and it it, it it's shown on Tuesday. More more on that later. And today, as I should say, Thursday. We signed a left wing back in Callum McFadze as well. I don't really know a great deal about him. Um, do you have any thoughts, Mark? I'm. I, I know more about Palmer, um, and I know yeah. that McFadze's. It's quite interesting to me because it seems to me like he might be more. I could be wrong here, but maybe a little bit more the Tyler French style wing back and sort of physical. You can play centre back as well. Uh, rather than what what's been doing so well for us, which has been the whippets on the flanks, you know, um, so it'd be quite interesting. But I mean, again, a player with football league pedigree has got to be a smart signing. And I would also say, I know on social media, lots of Sunderland fans have said, "Oh, you know, he was a poor player for us." Well, I mean, ignore that. I mean, it's it's a bit like um, Rafa Benitez at Everton, isn't it, really? That Parkinson didn't succeed at Sunderland, um, so they don't like him, and therefore anything associated with them they criticise. Uh, it may be that McFazian didn't have a good time there, to be fair, but it's got to be said, <laughs> players are allowed to go somewhere and it not work out. But since then, he's done very well. Um but like I said, I'm, I'm not sure he's quite as attacking as, uh, say, Hosanna is. So it's interesting that we brought him in. Uh, you know, bearing that in mind, seeing as our attacking intent down the flanks has been so important to us. But he's, he's clearly I'm a smart signing. Yeah, and it's, it's in a position where I think a lot of the fans weren't really calling out for a left wing back. But I actually do think it it's needed. And we've, we've said this on previous pods and you know, a player of football league pedigree who's played in League One was very well liked at Plymouth. 
yeah, it seems like a, a, a clever signing, hopefully. Yeah, and it looks like we're looking for, for two players in every position. Um, you've got Cameron Green and now Cal McFadsey uh, on the left, Hosanna and, and Hall Johnson on the right. Uh, McAlinden, who's coming into the fold now as well, gives us a more attacking option. And, uh, you know, may, maybe Cameron Green's not in Phil Parkinson's plans as much as um, some of the other options, but we, we're really, we've got a really strong squad depth apart from maybe in midfield, which, you, which you'd assume is the next target, really, wouldn't you? Not that... Uh, I, th- yeah, I think our midfield is very underrated and, and Palmer is going to take some of the pressure off the midfield, but if there's going to be one or two more players, that is the position, isn't it? Centre midfield, really, that you'd expect them to come in. Yeah, I think so. Like you say, it's the lack of depth in midfield that that is a concern, isn't it, really? Because, I mean, Redmond's gone out on, on loan and wasn't going to feature anymore. He had another opportunity again this season and he didn't take it. David Jones is very injury-prone. So, you know, a couple of the players... And now Jarvis is coming back, that's good. But I think he's more of a playing in the hole than playing in centre mid sort of player. So there is a little bit of a lack of depth in there we need to address. Although, ironically, like I said, on the flanks, Tyler French is another one to throw into that. We've got a hell of a lot of depth now. Um, mm. And <laughs> ironically, like you said, we're bringing in, I think correctly, a left wing back straight after Liam McAlinden absolutely tore it up on, on Saturday mm. and then Tuesday in that position. So... Uh, he must be thinking, oh, just for a moment, I thought I was going to be the future for this season. Now, maybe not. But uh, it's great to have all those options. And, and McLinder was great, wasn't he? Mm. Oh, yeah, 100%. And unless we're looking at maybe having Max Clareworth in that holding fielder role, and because McFadsey can play centre back too, he can cover that position. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. The, yeah. Know, so, don't know what the yeah, plan maybe is. Be, yeah, we, we don't know what the plan is. So, yeah. It's it's been an exciting week being a Wrexham fan for sure. Um, talking about other exciting things. After this, we're going to be talking about a bit of a Aaron Hayden appreciation. Hi guys, I'm Dominic Rose, and uh, this is Dragon Hot. Well, we're now going to talk about the man with the magic hat that. The guy who's on fire at the moment, probably one of our best players on the pitch. Um, he had quite a ropey start. Well, no, I wouldn't say a ropey start, but he had all his critics at the start of the season, didn't he? But for me, Aaron Hayden is one hell of a centre-half, isn't he, Bill? Yeah, I mean, you, you've uh, talked a lot about him, you know, off, outside of the uh, podcast, mate, and... and uh, I, I think he's probably my favourite player at the team at the moment as well. He's he's uh, got a lot of quality. Uh, maybe was he? I don't know how they played at Carlisle, but maybe he was adjusting to playing at three at the back. You know, he, he's playing in a whole new back line in a new division. It's going to take him a bit of time to 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 get used to. And I don't think it was as, as bad as some people made out. I think you know, maybe rightly so. But there's a lot of expectation at the moment of the race course. People expecting us to just be signing gems that are, that are ready straight out the box. Um, but no, he's, he's coming into his own and, and the Grimsby game really solidified how uh, important he is to the team. Oh, he is the Red Baron. He is the, the Baron von Richthofen, von Richthofen even, of uh, 
the National League. That's how good he is in the air. And I know, you know, historians might say, well, ultimately, Baron von Richthofen was shot down in the First World War. But quite frankly, that he was still good in the air. It was hitting the ground that was the problem. It was the ground. He was the king of the air. But hitting the ground was, was the issue. While in the air, he was unbeatable. And that's what Hayden's like. He's a beast, wasn't it? Oh, I've, oh. I've liked him all season, exactly like you said, Jay, but oh my goodness. Once once he once on, on the last couple of games, and the girls win especially, it's been almost cruel. I feel like I should report him to somebody for you know for, for, for bullying strikers like that. Well, he, he shouldn't be playing at this level simply, no. shouldn't he? I no. think you know, I think Mullins a fantastic strike and strikers get a lot more plaudits but I really wouldn't be surprised if a League One or Championship side really does really come in for him in the summer because he's got he's got everything he, he he's got the ball at his feet he can he can play the long balls he's a, a colossus in the air he's quite fast there's not really much he can't do as a centre half is it, isn't it the last person that played for us that you thought um looked a bit of a cut above and then did end up going to a higher division as a centre-back with probably Curtis Tilt. Mm. And although they're quite different players, I, I think you can sort of see that when Curtis Tilt didn't really have any major holes in his game and although he maybe started with, with a bit of lack of chemistry with the other players in the team, I can't see any particular holes in Hayden's game personally. Yeah, I... I... I just thought he was such a beast in that Grimsby game. It was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, he's he's got such fantastic attributes, and I and I think has got fewer holes in his game than, than Tilt. If I'm totally honest, even though you know, obviously Tilt did go up the divisions, there was a few moments in that Grimsby match I loved, and from the very start, Souza, left side of Grimsby player, I, I thought looked their most lively player, and it was it was interesting looking at. He was playing down the left-hand side and he was looking dangerous until he came into Hayden's orbit. And at that point, it was all snuffed out. It was just, you know, so he looked lively, he was good, his movement was good and he was fast and he could take people on. But then the moment he came into a position where Hayden stepped in, it was over. And he just thought, yeah. oh, okay, yes, that's their best player and that's what Hayden's doing to him. And then, but but my, my favourite moment... Shortly, uh, you know, shortly after my other nice moment with 10 minutes left when we got a throw in an attacking position and Toza, Toza went to t- started moving to take it and Hayden just stuck his hand in front of him and said, no. And Toza was like, okay, yeah, fair enough. Because even, even, even Toza gets told what to do by Hayden. It wasn't that, it was after that, in added time, when they sent on the... The, the human department store that is Linnell John Lewis. And I mean, and a fair play, that is, is built uh, like a, a city centered shop. Um, and, and his strength is his main thing. And the guy's breaking down the wing, and Hayden comes across to engage with him and quickly, clearly makes the calculation I'll run him into the corner, then I will engage physically. You know, anyone else is thinking, right, let, let's try and make this not a battle of strength. But Aaron Hayden is, is thinking, you are my Atlas stone and I'm going to lift you over my head and put you wherever the hell I want to. I know they didn't put the Atlas stones over their heads. That would be dangerous, but hey. Um, <laughs> and, so, and so he just he just got touch tight, got strong, leaned on him, 
pushed him out of the way. Thank you very much. That's the end of that, please. It was just brilliant. That He's just done such self-knowledge and confidence in his physical attributes. He's right to be confident because he just he just took on an absolute beast and made him look like a wimpy little winger. It was uh, sorry to any wingers out there, but it was just oh, it was just masterful. It was it was fabulous. I thought. And one thing I loved about his performance, Chase says it's a lot. Um, but I've really got to notice it in the in the game being in the away end. The away end. In the uh, Rex Brent, um, he he absolutely loves playing for us. Absolutely loves it. And Ch- Chain noticed it a couple of weeks ago. Mentioned it to me, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll keep an eye on that. And then you listen to the odd interview, and you can tell he likes playing in front of the big crowds. But at the end, at the final whistle on on Tuesday, he was milking it for all it was worth. It was such a shame that um, Ollie didn't manage to. You know, he caught. Uh, Mullin doing the, the the fist pumps, but he didn't manage to catch Hayden giving the, the crowd a good roar and a bit of a clap. Like so, you know, fair play to him. He he clearly loves to play in front of that full house. And his his physicality is amazing, isn't it? I mean, okay, it's saying about him being strong and committed, but as Chase said, he's quick. He's genuinely quick, and he is <laughs> he's very agile. And you know, you're saying about where you know what was he being used? How was he being used at Oldham? Well, I know he's played a fair chunk of his career at right wing back, and you can see how you know getting a momentum going, how destructive he could be charging up and down the wing because he's quicker, he's happy to carry the ball, and I just like that about him. His decisiveness, he'll come and attack things quickly. He's you know the, the, there was a moment when we were attacking in the first half where he kept a corner alive by stretching and hooking it back towards goal. I was like, how the hell is he doing? It was like it was it was like really high and behind him, but he's just he's, he's just such an athlete as well. It's oh, absolutely tremendous. I, I, I'm a he's, fan. You're saying he's an athlete. He's got fantastic technical football ability as well for centre half. And also one thing I noticed on Phil Parkinson's interview, uh, post-match interview on Tuesday, was that his, apparently his leadership skills are fantastic and um, he'd be in contention to be captain if it wasn't for, say, Tozer and Luke Young. We've, we've got a real team of leaders at the moment, but he, he just ticks all the right box and he, he, he pops up some important goals this season as well. Uh, and and centre halves uh, contributing to goals, which our centre halves do a lot of, whether it's assisting or scoring, it, it, it's vitally important for a team that's pushing for a title. He's got two headers direct from toes of throws as well. Yeah, he's making the toes of throws work. Yeah, we were looking, we were looking at the stats on that, and we've scored eight goals this season from throw-ins. Not wow. direct toes are onto somebody, but toes is the one that puts the ball in. Maybe there's a ricochet or maybe there's a knockdown or something like that. But eight goals from his throws, that's that's remarkable. But as you say, Hayden's ability is, is a big part of that. It, it, it certainly is. And he he is he's a very he's a pivotal part of this side and hopefully he can keep form going. And I I, I also Shout out, uh, shout out either combination of back three because I think Toes is doing a fantastic job this season too. Um, Lennon's been excellent when he's played and um, Max Cleworth's been great as well. Mm. So more of this hopefully. 
Um, yeah, anything more you'd like to add, Bill or Mark? He's magic, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I would say as well, like you said, Bella, at the start of the season, he had his critics. And at the start, he did have, I would say, not ropey games, ropey moments. I, I thought at the start of the season, I, I felt, well, I suppose maybe I was being a bit glass half full rather than glass half empty. He had a mistake in him at the start of the season. And I think people looked at that and thought, oh, that, as you said, we've we got big expectations. This isn't what we're expecting. He's supposed to be just like a perfect. I was I was sort of looking at him and thinking, wow, look at all these attributes he's got. Look at the the good things he does. But, you know, he's allowed to settle into a club. He's allowed to settle into a new setup. Um, maybe occasionally he would try something that was a little bit ambitious uh, in terms of, taking somebody on or, or, you know, hanging on to the ball, using his strength to hold somebody off. Um, but but th- those things are small things. He seems to wind them out of his game now. And wow, he's absolutely terrifying, isn't he? Would you really want to be playing up front against him? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that's like level work. And yeah, let's hope this continues. So after this, We've got the interview, the part two of the interview with Craig Skinner. I'm Aaron Hayden, and this is Dragon Hearts. It's, it's. Uh, I think, I don't know. It, I think people sometimes don't appreciate that, like you said, the quality of players around you allows you to express yourself better. Um, I mean, if if people aren't making runs. For rush, he can't play the pass to them. If you see what I mean, yeah. and you sometimes yeah. see that now, and players will drop down to the national league, and you can see them waiting for somebody to make a run, or or they make a run, but the other players can't see it. Yeah, yeah, that definitely. The effect of it, doesn't it? And and he's spent a, a lifetime playing with you know the best players in the yeah. world, and you know let's be honest. So at, at that time, so yeah, it's it it's difficult and. You know, I, I think I just remember when I, you know, was right at the back end of my career. I played a few games for Northwich Victoria in the conference, and you know, bloody hell, I, you know, I was journeying average kind of Joe career. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm not saying I pulled a penny trees or anything, but you know, then you go down to that kind of level, and it, it is difficult. Like, you know, I sort of started in the championship, played most of my career in League One, um, well, virtually all of it, like, you know, apart from 20 odd games in the champ, and, and then. You know, you go down there and, you know, just trying to equate it to him dropping down the levels. Like, I know how you, you sometimes kind of sort of, you know, feel the way things are, I suppose. But, um, but yeah, no, no, just he was a positive guy. And, I, you know, I sort of did my coaching badges with the Welsh FA as well. And, I, you know, he was quite prominent within that as well at the time. Um, so, yeah, yeah, good bloke. A, a, a thing that, sort of characterise your time with Wrexham in a way and, and it, it, it's a weird thing in a way to say because it's certainly not something that came from you or the club or anything is that I think fans saw it as a it, it's going to be either you or Martin Chalk playing which I can understand in the sense that Brian liked that that lopsided 4-3-3 didn't he where you basically got a couple of strikers one winger not a winger on the other side yeah. um, and you were very different styles of players you know, mm. he was he was your feisty, charging at stuff, um, and you were the skillful playmaker. Um, 
And it's sort of, I always find it really weird that from a fan's perspective, fans start picking one or the other when there's there's no need to do that. Mm-hmm. Did, did that become something that the players become conscious of, do you think, or not? Um, I'm not too sure. I, I, I remember with Chalky, um, you know, we, we did have various sort of spells in the team, didn't we? So, you know, I I play for sort of 10, 12 games, either sort of something had happened or, you know, you'd get injured or, and then Chalky would come in and do well and and, and then the team would, would win again and then you're trying to get back in and then you get back in. And it felt as though, you know, we, we sort of alternated quite a bit, you know, and sort of had, had sort of, you know, a couple of months here in the team, a couple of months there out of the team or, or a few weeks out of the team. Sometimes we might play together, like, you know, on odd occasions. But, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it was anything. Certainly me and I don't remember speaking about anything like that with Chalky. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think there was a feeling that, you know, some fans favoured sort of Chalky and some fans favoured me, I think, you know, but, you know, I, I, I didn't really sort of think too much about it at the time, but you, you're right. You know, Chalk is a, you know, is a really good player, like, you know, but, 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 but very, very different, as you say, sort of more, um, you know, like you say, without disparage, probably a bit more work, workmanlike and sort of, you know, just get kept the ball, you know, more of that kind of player. You know, I'm not saying I didn't work hard, I did, but, you know, more sort of, you know, from an attacking angle, I suppose, like I'd, I'd like to sort of create a bit more and, and and maybe sort of you know bring a little bit more flair if I could, I suppose, like. But um, but yeah, yeah, it's um, we, we we seem to be in and out together. I suppose is a long winded saying it. Yeah, it's a weird one. I, I always thought that was a bit like weird, and I, I don't quite understand. I don't know what I'm trying to say in a way, except that, like you said, you tended to alternate. Most players, if you're not a goalkeeper, generally. There's two possibilities, you know. You you might play this. It doesn't tend to be one guy or the other. But with you, yeah. so even though you could play up front, and mm. increasingly, maybe more after you left, actually, increasingly, Chalky was used like centre mid in a three because he could box to box. Yeah. But mm. generally, it was it was either or. And then you can say fans get yeah. this sort of oh well, I'm I'm I I back this guy or I back that guy. I guess that's human nature, isn't it? I, I was a skinner man. I've got to say. I was just going to man, and the stats back me up. Yeah, scoring and assist rates, yours are better. But um, obviously, I'm not going to say it too loud in front of Chalky. But that's no, I, I know. Yeah, yeah. But no, I, I appreciate that. You know, it's. Um, I, th- I think you know, looking back, you know, we both had our merits, I suppose, didn't we? Yeah. Like you know, in terms of um, different attributes. But like you say, perhaps because it was one of them where there was one really like we used to play with that right winger and then sort of Lugger coming in off the left and a centre forward like you know and Lugger was a you know he was all he's obviously top top player wasn't he like great player Lugger so he used to have the centre forward and it, I thought it worked really well that formation I liked it because I'd, I'd only sort of you know it, it'd be mainly I've been brought up on 4-4-2 where you, you know you sort of were up, up and down and, and you know that was the role you sort of you, you're forward you're putting a crossing and then you sort of double defending you know back in your own sort of last third and that, that that sort of you know the way we played sort of gave me there was a little bit more freedom just to start, sort of find a bit of space and yes obviously there was the defensive element to the role but definitely you know you could pick up the ball in better positions and you'd have more sort of steam to actually sort of get at full backs and sort of play off the, the centre forward and sort of give and go so um, 
it was a really good development, you know, just to, to play that kind of system, really, because um, because as I say, you know, we, we hadn't we'd, we'd sort of played it a little bit at Plymouth, um, but but you know, Black Blackburn was re- really four four two. You know, that's all we ever played at Blackburn. You know, for all my sort of youth career and my young as a young pro, that that's what that's what we was brought up on. So to to morph into that four three three and have a, have a little bit more of a free role and to be able to create a little bit more, then that was. Um, that was I really enjoyed that, yeah. It was it was born from the season before you came to us because we previously had Gary Bennett, Steve Walking up front, and we yeah. played 4-4-2. And I, I'm yeah. not gonna say we were direct, we weren't direct, but we were good at, we had quick wingers at Carl Colney on the left, or Jonathan Cross on the right, and mm-hmm. we tended to get the ball forwards quickly. Because I'm not saying we weren't long ball, but we tend to be really good at painting through the thirds, getting into dangerous areas, and then you've got Gary Bennett. Um, yeah. And then when he left for the first about six, seven, eight weeks of the first the season after that, we couldn't, we didn't look dangerous. We were still playing four four two, but it wasn't. You know, you, you take a guy who scored forty goals for each of the last two seasons out of the team, you, yeah. you're lacking something. And yeah, then yeah. we tried that with Carl coming inside, and Carl mm. immediately scored a hat trick against Swindon, who were the t- league leaders and unbeaten at the time. It just clicked, and that was that was the genesis of it. And Flynn, yeah. he still sticks to it now. He was back with us three years ago as caretaker. And he yeah. was still trying to squeeze this lopsided 4-3-3 onto us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's just different. I think when you, when you try something a little different as well, it catches teams out sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, it works. It, it definitely worked for us. You know, as I say, the first three seasons I was there, three out of the four seasons I was there, you know, as I say, we 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 were in contention, like you know, going into the final throws of the season. In each, you know, I might have rose tinted spectacles with this mark, but I'm sure, you know, going into the final few games, we were still in contention of, of actually sort of getting in the playoffs to go up to the championship. So, you know, we 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 definitely scored a lot of goals. You know, definitely at certain stages throughout that sort of time. You know, as I say, you know, seven against um, Rotherham, um, you know. We seem to be, we seem to score quite a, a lot of goals, really. And like you know, Wardy had chipped in with a few from midfield. Yeah. What was was obviously still there, chipping away. Lugger was, you know, obviously Lugger just you know, notching and sort of assisting and doing what he does. So there were there were goals from different areas, you know, different areas of the of the team, and, and not not to mention sort of Rooster, um, who always chipped in as well. And then you had sort of you know. Gaz, Gaz Owen, you know, he had, yeah. had a real sort of eye for goal. Um, Rushy, when I say Rushy, I mean sort of Wayne Phillips, like who, uh, who used to chip in now and again with, with, with this, that and the other chalky, you know. So, so yeah, there, there, were, um, there were a lot of goals in the, in the team and the squad, really, I thought. I thought. Well, you're not looking at a rose-tinted spectacles at all because we did get very close. The classic one was 98 when we went to the last game at South End. And if we won, we had a really good chance of being in the playoffs. Yeah. And we battered them yeah. 3-1. But I think you were injured uh, in that game. You didn't start it, definitely. But yeah. um, but Bristol Rovers scored a goal with like three minutes left in their game, which meant that they went, they got above us. So three minutes yeah. of the season left, we were in the playoffs. And it, 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 it was one of those things, wasn't it? <laughs> Yeah, I know, I know. But like you say, you know, maybe we did need a, you know, a couple of extra players really just to, you know, you end up where you end up in the league, don't you? Like, you know, spoken about the Chesterfield game, like, you know, can go either way. But 
think over the course of the league, you end up where you end up really. So, you know, just maybe didn't have enough to sort of get over the line in terms of, you know, getting into playoffs. But, you, you, you know, you don't know. Everyone stays fit. You get on a good run. Yeah. We were as good as anyone in that league on our day. You know, I, I feel, you know, definitely. You know, thinking back at the time, no question mm. about that at all. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Craig, I'll I'll let you get on with your evening. Uh, I can't tell you how much of a pleasure it's been to chat to you. It really has been. Like I said, I've, I've always enjoyed you as a player, and I always enjoyed the sort of attitude about you as well. And uh, it's it's been brilliant to, to chat about. It really has been. Thank you so much for joining us. No, well, thanks a lot. You know, it's you know, as I say, it's. Um, you know, the, the, the older you get, the more you want to talk about it, I suppose. You know, it's, it's sometimes it seems like yesterday I was there and other times it just seems like however long it is, which is quite a few years now. But, um, you know, I, I, I absolutely loved my time at the club. You know, I, I really did. You know, the, the four years I had there, made some great friends, had some great times, you know, some absolutely fantastic times uh, on, and, on and off the pitch, really. So, um, you know, it's a great club. I, I, I just wish... Um, you know, every time I sort of check the scores, that um, you know we could get a bit of a run together and get out of this league because it's it's um, you know I'm desperate to get out of it. So God knows what the fans are like, and hopefully you know we can get a run together now from to to get out and get back in the league where we belong. Well, if we can spend a bit of ca- our cash this January, hopefully <laughs> we'll manage it this year. Oh, brilliant! Here's <laughs> Matt. I'm Liam McClendon and this is Dragon Heart. Well, two very successful games, one away from home, one at home. Uh, Yeovil, first half, it was difficult, wasn't it, Mark? It was. I've sort of reevaluated this a little bit. I watched it again on Sunday. And I, I don't think we were as... Right, as bad as I felt on Saturday, because on Saturday I was really concerned. Maybe that's because you're watching it back knowing the results. You're watching it yeah. back knowing we will improve, whereas on you know, watching it, you know, actually looking at it as it's happening, you're thinking, all right, we might we might get hammered here. But yeah, I I, I didn't think we were so bad. We certainly fought back into the half well, and they didn't make as many clear cut chances as it felt like at the time, maybe because when you're watching the team playing badly, you're anticipating them opening you up again. But, yeah, I didn't think they were... I mean, the, the big chance, I think, for them was the Staunton one, the free header six yards out. He should have scored that. And if it was 2-0 then, we were in all sorts of trouble. Uh, but he didn't. And to be fair, despite the, um, the sort of the sort of uh, messages coming out after the game that, that we'd been lucky somehow, uh, I, I felt we were... We made quite a lot of very good chances in that second half and, and could have scored more than two. Of course, there's also the mistake, wasn't there, from Tozer in the first half, which led to the one-on-one with the oval yeah. striker. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, I, I honestly do think if we did go down for, to the second half, two down, I think the second half would have been a different game. We definitely probably would have lost. But... Yeah, they, they sort of they were playing some nice technical football oval as well. You know, you, you're playing against other teams all because we're not dominating sides all the time. It doesn't really mean anything, really. I think you you, you know Yeovil, 
played some really nice football, nice, really nice passing football at times. You know what, Yeovil, uh, reminds me of a little bit of teams that we've had, uh, not just in the conference, just in general, where we've looked the better side generally. We play a lot of good teams and you, you play nice football, but ultimately you just lose that that enough, that certain amount of games that, yeah, you, you play nice football, but maybe lack that ruthlessness edge, you know, like the ruthless edge or however you want to put it, to kill games off. And they should have killed us off, really, shouldn't they? You've got 1-0 up at home. Uh, like you say, there's that one-on-one -on -one chance. You've got to put that away. And that's... We, we've lacked that in the past. And as much as a lot of Wrexham fans don't enjoy the way Parkinson plays football, in terms of they enjoy the three points, but they don't enjoy the style... I'd much rather have the points than the style. And we've walked away with it in the end, haven't we? So I'm, I'm certainly not complaining. You brought the Cheltenham game a couple of years ago, uh, from a couple of years ago when they went up. It, it, was, it was a lot like that. You know, they sort of battered us in parts of the first half and then we walked away with the three points. And te teams that can do that, I know it's a, it's a massive cliche, but teams that can do that can win the league. So let's hope we've got that in, in the setup. I mean, if you look at the Tuesday game, in reference to that as well, we, we showed two very strong and important attributes. When we were playing well, we looked terrific. And when Grimsby were playing well, we fought like hell and defended our lead. And, and like I said, it's the same with the Oval, wasn't it? We, we managed to dig in through the difficult bits and then earn the right to dominate. Uh, yeah, mm. and, and you're right, I think, about that's like a really good comparison. Us in earlier years when we not quite got the finishing parts of the jigsaw, they got some very nice sort of attacking midfielder style players and wild, wide attackers, not wild attackers, wide attackers. <laughs> but they played a wide striker through the middle. He's usually on the left hand side, you know. Uh, they played him through the centre as the centre forwards, and there was a lot of really good movement amongst their front four, which I think troubled us. I wondered if they looked back, because remember this last week, you said to me, didn't you, Che, who, who was impressed you for them? And I said, Low Everton. It was brilliant against us in the previous match. Uh, he's been out of the team, but he's back in against us. I don't know if they were thinking he can do that again. But his movement's great, and there was a lot of rotation of positions. But was there quality in the box? They've scored a shot from outside the area. And that big chance fell to the bloke who usually plays as a wide striker rather than through the middle. And he scuffed it really badly. So, yeah, have they actually got that 20 goals season striker, uh, 20 goals a season striker that, that everyone just cries out for in every club in, in Britain? No, <laughs> that's their problem, I think. No, yeah, that, that is their problem. And I was watching them first half, and we, I think we both said on commentary, um, we can't really understand why they're 12th in the table uh, in the first half. They play some really nice technical football. And they they were they were a far better side. But watching the second half made me realise, yeah, that is why they are where they are. Because as soon as we got that first goal, my God, it was a beautiful goal by Mullen. Very um, Mullen-esque, beautiful finesse finish. I had a feeling that we were just going to go on to win it, and maybe maybe it's something about us as well as a uh, as characters and as a team. If we go one down, going into the second half, I, I'm not 100. percent I'm not that worried really because I think we're, we're always in a game, especially with the quality of Mullin up front. Do you, do you feel like you learned anything from watching that game? Like 
is there anything you come away from that 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 especially that second half performance, or is that something that we've shown uh, throughout the season? What do you reckon, Jay? Uh, well, we did it against Halifax, didn't we, as well? And uh, we said the half time. I think that game sort of reminded us of the Halifax game, the Halifax away game in many ways. You know, um, we were poor in the first half. The game was a bit rubbish. We went one, we went one down, but. As soon as we got that gate, uh, goal, that James Jones goal, I had a slight feeling. I had a feeling that we were going to go on to win it, and uh, we've we've done it again against Yeovil, and uh, yeah, it, it, it's it's really impressive. From and that's the most impressive thing from that side. We have a lot of fight and a lot of character in this team, and I think it comes back. Sorry, sort of into failure, but it comes back to that. Uh, Teams that do well get the points and don't have that style. And I like what do you want battling gutsy performances where you win two one in the end. You, you know you go a goal down, or do you want to look nice and, and and say, oh well, we've got the moral victory in a way. We played better football, should have put our chances away. We want to get promoted, don't we? That's as simple as that. I don't care how we get three points. It's just getting the three points. You're welcome to the moral victory. We'll have the victory. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that in terms of uh, your question, Bill, did, did I learn anything? Um, I quite like the whole um, Seinfeld view of nobody learns anything anyway. Um, in a way, it reinforced my views more than taught me something, I think. I think it reinforced mine, and hopefully as well, it reinforced it within the squad that we are the sort of team who can dig in and still get results, even when the other team have started well. That's the third time this season we've won from behind. The stats overall in football are very clear. You scored the first goal. There's a massive percentage chance that you don't lose. And yet we, we are consistently coming back. And I'd rather be scored first on steam draw the teams. But that there is, you know, say about James Jones scoring and you have a belief that we'll get another. There is that, isn't there? And, and for a long time, when we got relegated and then in the seasons beyond, we tended not to get those late match-changing goals. And the number of times I feel like I've sat up there watching us play, we need another goal. And he's just saying, it's not going to come, though. You know, we're trying ours, but it, it won't, we won't get it. But at the moment, I feel like, yeah, you know, I mean, think even games like the Chesterfield game, where we were terrible, didn't lose. Yeah. We got a goal at the end, mm. you know? Yeah. And I think also, I know this might be a bit cliche in some ways, but I think the crowd's had a big part to play this season as well. Yeah. When you've when you're going down to Yeovil and you've got 800 fans oh. there, um, you know what a way to spur is what a way to spur a team on. Mm. It, 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 our support has been incredible this season. If you want our players to be in it for the full 90, you know us as fans have made a fantastic impact. I think Neil said it on on commentary on, on during the game. That you know, Boreham Wood probably only have about seven, eight hundred at home, and we're taking that many down to Yeovil on a week, you know, on a weekend not that long after Christmas. Some people wouldn't have even been paid, and they forking that money out to get down there. It, it's it's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, brilliant. You know, you have to go back to the early seventies and our early seasons in the what's now the Championship to find equivalent home crowds as well. It really. It's quite something, isn't it? You know, and it 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 must be amazing to be a player of you know the fifth tier of English football, mm. and, and 
you, you're pulling 8,000 at home, you, you're taking 800 fans away to Yeovil and the play, I think it must make the players believe in the project and the fan, it make, the, the players believe in the project makes the fans believe in the project. It's not like, let's say, for example, your Fleetwood or your Salford where, you know, these sugar daddy clubs have come in and they bought these players of high quality and they're barely pulling in 1,000, 2,000 a week. And it's just a bit of a, a bit of a fun for this owners until they get bored and, and these these little sugar daddy clubs start going back to their usual natural place. We we have a fan base. This there was something there already with Wrexham. Wrexham have always been a league club, uh, a league, uh, an English uh, EFL standard size club, and it's just yeah. There's something quite special about the Rob Ryan, the fact the fans and the players at the moment. It, it, it's really blending together really nicely. Just imagine being Jordan Davis at the moment. God, he's living all of our dream, isn't he? Yeah. Being a, a, a being a local lad and playing in front of these sort of crowds and, and winning on a regular basis is mm. it's something else, isn't it? Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> but yeah, uh, back to the gate, the oval game. I think a key a key player and a, a key substitute at half time was Jordan Ponticelli coming on for Kwame Thomas. I felt a bit sorry for Kwame Thomas first half. I think. He didn't really have the service, did he? And it, he didn't really have the best of games. And I think that substitution was key for us winning the game. And I kind of feel sorry for Jordan Poncelli as we've signed another striker in Ollie Palmer. I think he's not really put a foot in wrong this season. And he he's an excellent player at this level also. Do you know what I really enjoyed about um, Poncelli's performance was that he he's shown a bit of um, the old... Uh, gamesmanship towards the end, you know, where he, he was um, doing keepy uppies on the way to the corner flag, yeah. wasn't he? Uh, <laughs> just to waste a bit of time. And, mm. you know, typical National League refs, they weren't even yeah. punishing him for it. They just let him walk up, juggling the ball down to the <laughs> corner flag. And it's something that maybe in the past he's been accused of being soft and, and not having that in his locker. And he seems to have toughened up a lot, doesn't he? Not that, you know, I, I think toughness sometimes is overrated in football, but. Fair dues to him. It's, it's, it was good to see him. There's those images of him doing the, the, the chin, putting his hand underneath his chin, and he seemed to really enjoy the final whistle. And players are buying into it now, aren't they? Oh, no question. Those those pictures of Palmer celebrations are really striking. You know, the, 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 the players look so pumped up when they celebrate that goal, especially Palmer and Hall Johnson. You think, wow, this is a real release of emotion. They're really behind this, aren't they? Um, Bob oh. Jelly, I thought was wonderful. I, I, I thought he did ever so well. I mean, their manager Darren Sarl said, didn't he? Afterwards, he singled Ponticelli out and said he changed the game when he came on. I don't fully agree with that because I think the last ten minutes of the first half we were well on top. But having said that, Ponticelli really put himself amongst their centre backs from the start and and gave them a, a physical, a different physical problem to what Guame brings. Uh, he was just engaging with them, scrapping with them, and shall we say, wearing their centre-backs down and giving Mullen the opportunity to drift around in the spaces he's creating because the two centre-backs are preoccupied with him. But, you know, I mean, hats off to him. I thought he was tremendous. And then, of course, McAlinden came off the bench and made a big difference. Yeah. Um, Bryce Osanica was injured, wasn't he? He's come off injured. 
And I thought, oh, well, the natural substitution was Cameron Green was on the bench, wasn't he, for that game? Mm-hmm. I thought the natural substitution would be Cameron Green. But lo and behold, we thought, oh, McLinden's come on. He's come on in this position. And yeah, he's he's looking like a real good player in that position, isn't he, Bill? Yeah, he's, he's bringing something that, uh, not through much fault of his own, because I think with him being a right-footed uh, player playing at left-back, Rosanna does tend to sort of slow down play a little bit when he gets into the final third. He has to stop and cut inside to deliver a cross, whereas McElhinden is quite fast and left-footed, so he can, he can and being a previous left-winger, can whip a cross in. So, OK, let's see how he was to do against a, a team that are playing really well. Um, I know Grimsby are doing well, but, you know, we, we're talking against Stockport or Chesterfield or somebody. Maybe that's why we, we've signed a left-back because defensively he might miss those pieces, but, you know, he's not a bad option to have on the bench, especially if you're chasing a game and you need to uh, attack it. Bring him on. He's got that directness. It just gives, again, it's just options, and I think that's, it's almost more important at our level to have options than it is to have a, a really good starting eleven because they're going to get bashed around and they're going to end up having injuries. And you read these sort of games under the. I mean, like you say, that the Oval game was a a tactical move to try and take the game to them, but he did. Uh, he was in and around their box all the time, causing problems not just by putting balls in the area, but by competing to win the ball back early if we'd lost it, and then that fantastic ball in for the winner where he sweeps that great cross into the far post. He opens them up. And, and then a massive credit, I think, to Jordan Davis, because all it's found him in a wonderful position. It's a great cross, but it's still an awkward one to put back in first time like that, I would say. It's coming, it's coming on a half volley. He's, he's, he's side on to it to get the power that he got on it to drive it in with his left and make the defender make the mistake rather than have to take the touch and then give the defender a chance to set himself, was fantastic, I thought. So I, I know it sounds stupid to say this, but it was a good goal, even though it was an own goal, because the, the setup play was excellent. And, well, you were saying in the commentary, Jay, weren't you? There, were, there were two men on marks beyond the, uh, the defender. So if he didn't stretch and make some contact, it was a goal anyway. So that was, it was, a, it was a, a, like I say, a good goal, even though we didn't score it. Yeah, uh, and... It, it was a great way to cap off Saturday, wasn't it? Because the first first half was wasn't great, and then the second half we come straight back into it, and it it, it was such a satisfying win. That first you half was you, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I was ve- I was very upset, very angry, <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it it's the type of performances you want. Isn't it out of a out of a side that's going to be pushing for the title, and then we go on to Tuesday, which was a another huge huge game. And for me, it, it had that sort of Notts County sort of feel to it. The at the start of the season, where you know race course, the lights. Uh, we haven't had a home game for a while with fans in, um, so we were all starved of football, and. It had that sort of special feeling about it, didn't it? And it was a special night. The atmosphere was amazing, wasn't it, Mark? Yeah, some people have said that they felt that although the numbers are up, the atmosphere isn't that good. And I I, I don't agree with that, actually. I, I think the atmosphere has been fantastic and the support's been amazing. 
But Tuesday was a step up, actually. Tuesday was scarily good, wasn't it? Really, the engagement with that team. I think the excitement of bringing in another striker um, really got people going, didn't they? You know, and, and the notion that well, now we're entering that phase where we complete the team or complete the team for the season. Um, but oh yeah, the way the way the fans got behind it and drove us on was was just something else. I loved it. You two in the in the commentary box, like in in the stands, it it did feel electric. It felt like some of the better games that we've had in the conference. How much does it come off uh, on comms? Because I know you, you know you you mic'd up, you got your headphones on. Can you hear a lot, or is it just something that that you kind of zone out, or you know whatever? In my personal experience, um, I was not on commentary on Tuesday, but say the Notts County game where it was really bouncing and what have you, yeah, it, do, it does make a huge difference. You are in the zone because you've got to be ready to describe what's going on, but yeah, the, the roar gives you that bit more of an adrenaline rush as, you, as you're watching the game still. Mm. In, in my experience, you know, you got the, the mic, the headphones, and obviously the idea of those headphones is to cut out extraneous noises. I always like to have one headphone off because I want that crowd noise. I think when you start yeah. feeling, <clears throat> if you can get the sort of feeling that you're cut off from it, you're not experiencing the game. I, I think a big part of, <clears throat> sorry, the job of commentating is getting the atmosphere across as well. And, you know, whether it's by just commenting on it or maybe matching your tempo to the tempo of the crowd, if, if I'm cut off from the crowd, there's no way I can get any sense of that. So so I like yeah. to have one on, one off. And I've got to say, yeah, you can tell the difference. I must say, actually, I'm just thinking about this now. I did say something at the, before the game kicked off, which now I think about, I, 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 I may surprisingly have been right. Um, one of my little bugbears about modern football, sorry to be an old fuddy-duddy, is <laughs> and I, I, blasting really loud music out up until kickoff, you get it a lot in the Premier League games. You get it a lot of places, big wet venues like Wembley, um, and, and to me, it almost feels sort of a bit Orwellian. You know, it's a bit nineteen eighty four. Uh, you know, we want this to be this <clears throat> this perfect product, which is really controlled, and the fans could spoil that possibly by bringing their character rather than the safe corporate character of the Premier League. So instead, we blast loud music at them because it sort of pacifies them. And also, you know, when you can't hear the person speaking to you next to you, there's not much point in starting the song, really. You know, so <clears throat> it sort of flattens everything down. And if people are singing or doing something, you can't hear it on the television because the music's so loud and the rest of the fans can't hear it to join in. But I noticed on it's almost as, Sorry, Mark, but it's almost as if, if we're being double cynical that they want people to stay around and have another pint and another hot dog and another packet of crisps or whatever it is in the stands because if there's no atmosphere in the stands, you're down there having an extra beer, aren't you? Sorry well, to cut in about Tuesday. I, 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 you know, I, I, you might just have a point there, you know, <laughs> you know to be frank. Um, but also on Tuesday, and I'm, I'm quite sure it's not deliberate, but the music was, I'm not sure it was turned down or off. I think it was just very low, certainly in our stands. And I was very conscious, and it's a, it's a long time since I've really noticed this. There was a proper sort of crackle in the air before the game. The Wrexham fans were making a lot of noise. It really built up that sense of anticipation. The Grimsby fans were trying to sort of fire back with it. And 
<clears throat> you know, fans making their own atmosphere is a lot, lot better than having tonight's going to be a good night blasted at you with a thousand decibels. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, but it's true, you know. And I, I must be honest with you, this is really going to be me being very snobby now, so I'm sorry. I apologise in advance, but I like originality. I like us being different. It's all very well people saying, oh, we're a special football club. Well, we're not if we just act like every other football club. Um, and lots of people talk about, well, what are your favourite memories of winning at like, um, Millennium Stadium or Wembley? And, and it's things like, oh, when we all played, they played rocking all over the world at the end. Why? Somebody chose a generic upbeat song that has nothing to do with us whatsoever. And that was brilliant. Well, okay, I, part of me thinks I'm being a real misery saying that because it was all yeah. part of that experience and it was great to be hearing that music and seeing us with a trophy for once. That's fantastic. So please don't get me wrong. And everyone's entitled to their own favourite memories anyway. But I prefer the atmosphere that fans make because it's your fans. Do, do you know what I mean? It's not yeah, generic. Yeah. It's, not, it's, not, it's not something with nothing to do with us. It's us expressing ourselves. And I like that in terms of pre-match atmosphere. I like that in general. Uh, and it, I, I don't know. It felt to me like it contributed to that amazing atmosphere that Evan came ready to make a noise and then was able to do so without getting drowned out before the game. It was great. I, I must admit, I was a little bit late to the ground, but you, you mentioned that crackle in the air. I, could, I walked from by... Um where the new job centre is, old new look, from there through town, and you could hear you could hear the crowd from there, like you know, ten minutes before kickoff or whatever. So, in fairness, I think I think you're right. It, it must have been really noisy in that pre-kickoff. Yeah, it was great. And to get the fans going, the the performance on the pitch has to has to be good, doesn't it? And and it was, wasn't it, Mark? Oh, absolutely, it was terrific. Grooms had a good first ten minutes, didn't they? But we held yeah. them at bay pretty comfortably. Uh, Hayden started his cameo performance in there. Um, and then once we started to get on top of them, who we were hurting, weren't we? Paul Johnson, don't know if it's because against one of his old clubs, but goodness me, he was buzzing up and down the flanks like anything. McElindon suddenly got into the game. And yeah, we just, we just, we then had about an hour of the most glorious football. And should, I mean, again, let, let's be critical because you don't improve if you don't look at what you can improve on. We should have scored more goals. We really should have scored more than one. I wish that game should have been dead and we had to we had to fight for the last 20 minutes, didn't we? Because they did, fair play to Grimsby and they're a good team. They came back at us. Yeah, we had the, with the Mullen chance in the second half, which is a good save from their keeper, wasn't, wasn't it? And then we had... We had the ma and we also had the one that was blindly obvious, which so I feel so gutted for him because it would have been really nice to see Max Clareworth get that second goal for us. I am I am really gutted for him because it was it was a sitter, wasn't it? Yeah, but looking at it again, I mean to be fair, the defender was a bit closer to them, and I realised actually when you look at it on the footage, it's hard to see who it came off last. Obviously, it came off Clareworth last because it's a goal kick, and he didn't complain about it. But the guy lunging in in front of him, I guess, hasn't made contact or has made enough contact to just shift it away from him. He's so close to him. It's just one of those things, isn't it? But we had chances in the first half as well, didn't we? we you know, yeah. we really, you know, we, we were excellent, but we should have scored more, I felt. 
there was a Hayden header just before the first goal that from behind the behind the goal was inches away. I don't know like how it looks on, on footage, but it was so close. There's plenty of people around me that were like, yes! <laughs> before it's yeah. gone in, it's like, oh, I've been going. So. We'll be in commentary. <coughs> I'm sorry, my throat's going to be weird. I'm, I'm re- my throat's reliving the game. Um, I, was, <laughs> I, I, called, I, I thought he'd scored. I, I, was, I was in the process of saying that he scored and then realised it's gone past the post. I couldn't believe it, I'm going to. Yeah, absolutely. We made so many clear-cut chances. So that's one thing we need to improve on. But then, you know, to be fair, we looked like a good unit. And there were there were good first signs between Mullen and Palmer, I would say. Yeah. Ollie Palmer looked really good. And he he had um, the Crimsby defence all in knots in parts. And Sean, Pe- Sean Pearson should have been bucked a few times for knocking him over, especially in the second half. I, I don't know how the referee didn't give anything for that. But yeah, he he looks like he could be a real asset this season, doesn't he, Bill? Oh yeah, yeah. He, he's he's what we've been missing for a long time, um, and and you know, hopefully he can go on a bit of a scoring run. If he's getting one in four in the in League One, then just imagine what he could do in this this division. Hopefully, quite a lot. <laughs> As well, I mean, <clears throat> he was like I said, the ref didn't protect him. I thought it was a good battle. I thought Pearson played well, but was tested by the, the Wrexham strikers. Um, but the ref was poor, uh, to be frank. He, you know, he let the game go in situations where he shouldn't have done, and he should have booked players, and he didn't. Uh, not just their players. I mean, our celebration went into the crowd. That's an automatic yellow card, and the ref didn't do anything. Um, but the one by Pearson on um, Palmer. I just thought that yeah. was such glorious cowardice by the ref. I mean, there's plenty of people um, who felt it should have been a red. I personally don't, simply because of the distance from the goal. I think it is, in, in concept, it's the same as a red card, because he took him out because he knew he was going to run past him and he wasn't going to catch him. Theoretically, he was the last man, but it was virtually on the halfway line. Refs don't give those as red cards because there's such a long way to go. Uh, and I think, OK, so fair enough. But he didn't even give a foul because he knew that if he gave the foul, he had a decision to make. So he decided to chicken out of it. I thought that was awful. One of my favourite moments in the second half, actually, was... Um, and it was the referee intervened, unfortunately, was uh, when Kwame Thomas came on and got no, no protection whatsoever. Um, he went shoulder to shoulder with Pearson in the, in the goal mouth. The ball bounced yeah. in. But Kwame did really well. And they went shoulder to shoulder. And Kwame was maybe slightly stronger and was able to shoulder to shoulder knock him over. But Pearson managed to, because he was so determined, he managed still to get his head to it and get it back to the keeper. And the ref gave a foul against Kwame, which I thought was absolute rubbish because it was two, it was two strong players, again, like we said before, engaging physically, not, not by fouling each other, but it's a physical contact game and they were both using their strength. Um, and Thomas looked stronger, but Pearson actually succeeded in what he wanted to do. And I just thought that was a good moment of two players really testing each other against each other. The ref gives the foul, and I thought it was much more telling that Luke Waterfall turns around and just shakes Pearson's hand, as if to say, I don't think that's a foul, but I think that's a great defender, mate. Well done for dealing with him. So, uh, you know, that, I, I just uh, the ref got things wrong, but who cares? Just as the ref, we benefited from the ref getting things right on Saturday with some... Some mad diving, which we hadn't didn't talk about, uh, but he recognised it for what it was. Left it, 
And it's all very well Yeovil's manager complaining, oh, well, that player would have been in the position to stop Mullen from scoring if he'd been, if the player play had been stopped. Yeah, don't look at the referee, mate. That that bloke would have been there to stop Mullen if he hadn't pretended he did his head. Yeah. <laughs> Just got up and carried on playing. But, you know, it's taking, it's taking it a bit far, lying on the floor for until until the other side scores so you can moan about it. Sorry. Hands over. Well, we, we, we all know National League reference the role of the guys, <laughs> You know, it's just like the weather, isn't it? They might one day you might get a great decision for yourself, and then in the next half, it's a poor decision. So yeah, it, it's another reason why we really need to get out of this league because the officiating, I'm assuming, in League Two will be a cut above. No, oh, you're an optimist. Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that's true. But surely it can't be much much worse than what we're going through now. With, it at least won't be worse. It may be the exact same, but at least won't be worse than what it is now. Hopefully, <laughs> that's that's the realist's view, I reckon. Yeah, mm. but most of the fun of football is moaning about the referee and injustice. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that's one of the more, more, more attractive things about football at this level now, in my opinion, is and that like I struggle to watch Premier League now. Is the lack of VAR and the the, the yeah. The fact that we can still have human error on the officiating side, and I, I, I think we've lost that at the top level of the game. And I think that's why coming to watch Wrexham for me is a lot more entertaining than sitting on the couch and watching Man United versus West Ham and seeing these ridiculous uh, VAR decisions that we see week in, week out in the Premier League. So yeah, an, another reason why come watch Wrexham. Speaking of that, I wonder if that's contributed to the attendances going up. Obviously, there's been the pandemic and people have been sitting around. But everyone was watching a lot of football because there was nothing else to do. And then uh, I know I know it's the takeover if we're really realistic. But I wonder if there's a little bit of contribution from those fans who've got United or, or Liverpool um, sort of memberships and they go every now and again, maybe to the odd cup game once a year, who are now just going, oh, do you know what, stuff that I live in Wrexham, it's a bit sick of that. Let's, uh, let's just... Support my hometown team, especially when it's it's good bandwagon to jump on as well at the moment. It's it's very drab, isn't it? That that the way VAR can break things up, and I think in in a weird way, people want you know, okay the idea that people want justice. I I I, I you know what they want they want what suits their team. But I've, I've been in crowds where VAR is being used. And the crowd yeah. are confused by what's happening and angry at the stop in the game and are moaning, even though the VAR will be helping them the decision's gone against them so you know just you get instant justice in our games in our games you score a goal you look at the ref you look at the linesman they both run to the halfway line it's a goal yeah I, I, yeah. I find you know it's difficult to get enthusiastic when someone scores a goal when I'm watching on TV because I don't know if yeah. it's a goal or not and I think when you take away from the fa- a fan the fundamental ability to know what a goal is you've kind of damaged the product as they as they went to call it you know? Yeah, it was like the other week when uh, United played Villa in the FA Cup, and they just that they just microanalyzed every single mm. uh, movement that happened from that free kick, and they, they went went to see if Ollie Watkins was offside, and they went to see if Danny Ings handballed it, and then they went back to the, an original thing that happened ages ago. It took them five minutes to make the decision. It's completely sort of ruined football at the highest level in my opinion it made it feel like sort of like rugby 
Yeah. Where it's just slow and it's boring, it's closed down the game and it sort of it's it sort of helps the big teams a lot more than it helps the smaller teams. So I, I can sort of forgive a referee making a silly decision. Uh, you, you know what I mean at our level, rather yeah, than one chance to see it. Making, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. making silly decisions at the top level, even though they have video refereeing with that. I think often the VAR decision making is worse than the on the pitch decision making in the sense that you get a chance to look at it properly and you still do something strange. And there have been three or four in the last couple of weeks in the Premier League that have been mad. But I mean, let's look at last Saturday, the, the Jota penalty. And I've got a soft spot for Liverpool. So I'm saying this from, from that perspective. I mean, it's just utterly absurd that the ref can get it right and then people looking at it can then force him to go and look at it again. And I and, and I don't understand why he didn't just look at the screen and say, yeah, that's exactly what I saw before, lads. Thanks for wasting my time. Um, I don't understand why he didn't do that. But OK, maybe there's instruction, and, which, is, which is ludicrous, isn't it? Um, but, I mean, it almost feels like football when it goes to VAR is refereed in a different way where was there a contact oh well it's a foul contact is not a foul like I said about Thomas and Pierce the physical contact game those two going at each other Hammond and Tongs were both going for the ball neither of them did anything other than shoulder to shoulder contact leave them alone it's, that's football it's, it, contact is allowed it's the, and they were talking in the summer about oh remember it's all about the amount of contact has it really impeded somebody and there you've got Jota very clearly taking a look at where the goalkeeper is and then changing his direction to run into him. And the goalkeeper by this point is on his knees and stopped sliding and is stationary. What the hell was that about? How was that, that about it? It's absolutely astounding that VAR can look at that and say that. But like I say, in our games, there should be more scope for contact. Yeah. yeah. It's a semi-contact sport, isn't it? <laughs> You need contact in this sport to make it exciting. That's why that's why watching Wrexham and watching National League, or even watching you know League Two or any any football or even local football, it just seems more appealing to me. I think the contact, the heavier tackles, the the mistakes from the referees and the craziness is, is it's just a lot more appealing. But yeah, two absolutely fantastic games. We've got a really important game against a tricky up-and-down side in Maidenhead on Saturday, so everyone get down to the race course for that. It will be on um, Wrexham Player, Radio Audio. There'll be the Match Centre, the Twitter updates. Follow Dragonheart on Twitter. Uh, follow the Wrexham YouTube. Yeah, thank you very much for tuning in. Thanks to Mark, thanks to Bill. This has been Dragonheart. <laughs>